Good evening. It's eight o'clock. This is the Seeds of Creativity show number 30. We are talking learning environments, pearls of wisdom with Professor Stephen Happel. Contact the show right now. Drop us a text to 07 8600 26 400 or email the Seeds of Creativity team on Seeds of Creativity 20 at gmail.com. You can also write on our Padlet and drop us a shout out on the page. Just head to learnradio.net and click on Seeds of Creativity to find us. Remember, we're on air until 9 p.m. tonight. You're listening to Maria and Russell. This is the Seeds of Creativity live show on learnradio.net. And a very warm welcome to you folks. Thank you so much indeed. We've got a lot to talk about this evening. The text service is up and running. You're very welcome to drop us a text. Uh, texts are free from most UK mobiles. It's 078 600 26 400. Full details on the website. And you can write on any of our Padlets and we'll get those messages. Maria, what kind of a week have you had? It's been a busy week. It's been a busy week, Russell. Um, I'm, I'm changing my learning environment, actually, as we speak, trying mm. to um, make it a little bit more manageable. I've got some crafty cafe stuff to one side, but and I've got my plants on the windowsill. So, um, yes, I'm ready to hear what Professor Heppel's got to say Excellent. today. Excellent. We are thrilled, absolutely thrilled. Maria, take us through the running order. What do we have? Thank you very much, Russell. So welcome and good evening, everybody. This is our 30th show, and that's why we called it Pearls of Wisdom. Mm -hmm. And we are extremely excited to share with you the Pearls of Wisdom regarding learning environments. And it's going to be a professional game changer for sure. Now, we know how crucial the learning environment is for creating optimal learning spaces and colleagues have always been open to innovation and how the learning environment can be adapted and evolved in order to affect that good learning and we also know that children learn at different paces and actually in different places and the past year has shown us this for sure you know colleagues have had to transfer in the last 12 to 18 months learning online and also provided blending learning opportunities and we've come a really long way in relatively short space of time and one example is the use of padlets which I hadn't used until last year and it's been so important for that online connection hasn't it Russell? Oh me neither they're absolutely fantastic it's like a post-it note environment it's safe secure you don't need to register for it everything can be moderated you can take out a certain list of words if you so want you can put asterisks in if you don't want things mentioned that are in your band list it's stunning we're absolutely love them they have really transformed our radio proposition because it allows us to do a live show integrate it with young people it's not like um, a zoom or a youtube chat thing where you've got to have a moderator who's on their toes because you have to ban it or remove it once it's been written here it doesn't get seen unless we say go it's very powerful it's a brilliant tool maria and we're using them this evening we are indeed. I mean, I couldn't I couldn't imagine now my life without them. I mean, they're, they're such a beneficial part of learning. And coming up in the show, we will be speaking to award-winning and legendary educator, Professor Stephen Heppel, who will be talking about his extensive research into creating and cultivating optimal learning environments. Now, Professor Heppel was awarded the Royal Television Society's Judges Award 
for lifelong services to educational broadcasting in 2006. And in 2008, he received the prestigious BET Award for Outstanding Achievement in ICT Education. And not only that, in 2014, he received the UK NACE Award for Lifetime Achievement in Educational Technology. And we will be sharing with you, colleagues, how simple adaptations backed up by extensive research can make a huge improvement to learning. Russell, that's not hard to do, is it? It's not. It's not rocket science, folks. It's really simple stuff. And what Stephen has is a shed load of evidence. And I love listening to him. I've been listening to him since 1985. Absolutely amazing uh, when he imparts some brilliant advice. And don't forget, everything is backed up by really, really good evidence. And I think that's very important because people are calling for that kind of stuff now. And I'm really excited for this evening show what next maria because it's, it's so interesting russell because you know in my experience as an educator for many moons now i've always embraced ways of enhancing children's learning experiences mm. unlike you know of course all educators you know we adapt them for each of our cohort of children that we teach you know you think you get it right one year new bunch of children come along you have to change and evolve and rightly so you know but in in my classroom practice in particular, you know, for many years now, I've been using music at different wavelengths to support learning. I've used citrus fragrances and rosemary. I've actually, I've got a little rollerball on today. It's, it's, it's called Finding Focus. That's rosemary, you know, and that's all supporting memory. Yeah. You know, I, and I appreciate that some learners learn better in low light and some in bright light. You know, so my classroom, you know, was always of hybrid activity, but I never really had the research behind me. So, you know, I'm so pleased that my gut in instincts you know were right all along and I you know for years I've had plants in my classroom to increase oxygen levels and in fact one of my classes they were so enthused by the way we you know the plants and everything that was affecting their learning we were part of um, a social enterprise academy project and um, they pitched their idea to Dragon's Den and we won first prize wow. so you know when you said about Professor Stephen Heppel coming onto the show I mean it was just music to my ears and it is just so great Russell that you know that you've you've made this opportunity for us today oh it's hardly me it's the good professor himself actually i've known him as i said since 1985 when i first joined research machines rm in those days uh well they were uh making computers in oxford and uh, Stephen worked for a really interesting uh, organization and he was a keynote speaker and i got to speak as their uh, the chief product evangelist for research machines so we're doing presentations sharing stages and we really struck up a great relationship we're just on the same page and that makes an incredible difference, I had to say, which is really, really good. Uh, folks, the first question is just going up on the Padlet right now. What we'd like to know from you as a listener is what would you like to change about your learning environment? What are the barriers? That's really important. What are the perceived barriers uh, for the classroom? And to help you along that way, we've got our first music track. Thank you so much indeed. Keep writing on the Padlet there. All of the music is being, has been chosen by the brilliant professor himself. And we're starting off with this one. It's The Hue, My Generation. Oh, yes, The Who. Listen live and tweet along with the show. It's easy to get your comments read out. Just use the hashtag Seeds of Creativity or write on our Padlet on the website. This is Seeds of Creativity on LearnRadio.net. 
And we've never played The Who before. And I was just chatting uh, to uh, Stephen just there as well. He's only related to the drummer on that track. We'll ask him about <laughs> that. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe that as well. Uh, keep the comments coming, folks. We love to hear from you. So a couple of questions up there already. But question one, what would you like to change about your learning environment? I think everyone's waiting to hear from Stephen, really. First, what are the barriers? That question's up there all evening and all week. If you want to get back in touch with us, we'd love to see your points there as well maria it's time to introduce our guest thank you very much russell so our guest this evening is professor stephen heppel who is professor at the felipe segovia chair of learning of innovation at the universidad camilo jose cela in madrid he's also emeritus professor chair in new learning environments at anglia ruskin university and the executive chairman for learning possibilities plus good evening professor and welcome to the show Oh, hello. Gosh, I'm blushing with all the nice things you've been saying about me. <laughs> no pressure. I'll try and live up to them. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. It's so nice because, I, I, because I'm bilingual myself. It, it gives me a great opportunity to, to practice my Spanish. So thank you so much. So, um, Stephen, we'd like to ask you, from your experience, can you share how the pandemic is growing your expertise? I mean, what do you know now that you didn't know 12 to 18 months ago? Well, I'd like to take you back, actually, to that music track because um, education sort of has a has a, a revolution about every 75 years. And uh, 1800, the churches wanted us to all have all the right stories for the Bible, you know, and uh, so Sunday schools were born. And um, 1870, uh, employers wanted people who could read a bit and write a bit and do some measuring, but most importantly, turn up on time. So compulsory primary education came along. Mm -hmm. And what's happened there? That was happened. Stephen, you still got us? Are you still there? Oh, sorry. Oh, okay. just, I'm just laughing here because oh, um, Siri just cut in to have a bit of a chat. <laughs> which was uh, what did you say that keep that in surprise um yeah so 75 years after the uh after the 1870 act um we had the we had the war and the uh, we had the war and the war was a terrible time for an awful lot of people uh including of course roger daltrey of the who who was born in 19 40 something i think john lennon was 1940 and that generation uh, their generation um lived through the most torrid time and there's very much a parallel with where we are here with covid 75 years on i mean they were evacuated um sent off to live on welsh farms and moved away from their parents and grandparents or were living in in Anderson shelters in the garden, or were cowering in the uh, underground tube stations as bombs fell all round. What they came out of that war knowing was that they were pretty much ready for anything. And you know, if you think about the whole of our post-war lives, um, Vivian Westwood just threw a brick through the window of fashion. Um, she was a wartime kid. Colin Chapman, look what he did too. Motor racing, Clive Sinclair to computers. They were a golden generation. And what I've seen coming out of COVID above all else is a new golden generation. 
these are the kids who weren't expecting to be locked down, weren't expecting to be masked, mm. weren't expecting any of the stuff that's happened in the last 12 months and probably the next 12. And if we wanted a generation to be prepared for the uncertainties of the world ahead with more pandemics for sure and, um, you know, climate crisis and floods and food mm. shortages and who knows what's coming next, this is the generation who will be prepared for that. So I've, what I've learned, I think, is to ignore all the tropes about uh, the lost generation, catch up kids, and all the money we need to spend helping them catch up, which is utter tosh. Uh, the kids have had the most extraordinary time and uh, we need to catch up with them and hang on to their coattails as they gallop off to save the world. So I'm really excited. Here we are again, 75 years on, a new golden generation. And woohoo, their generation this time, my generation I, I, last time. Professor, I love the way that you're saying about the golden generation. You've got a certificate, haven't you, as well, that um, that people can, can download from your website. Is that correct? Gosh, we, we have, Marianne. And um, uh, if they go to hebel.net slash golden, dead easy to remember, uh, they can go with their children or their in my case, grandchildren live with me or their nephews and nieces or their class or their school. And uh, it's a simple thing. It just asks me, what's your name? What have you been doing during lockdown? And it generates this lovely little certificate. Tom Smith, who uh, has been working with me almost as long as I've known Russell, uh, he's done some gorgeous little cartoons on the front. But they're all, they're all based on the things that kids were reporting that they've been doing, you know, and so they're all, uh, I mean, not everything they've been doing was pleasant. Mm. You know, if you were a kid and you've been told to look after your siblings and do the cooking and, and washing, you haven't necessarily been having a, a great time, but you've had a time that's kind of built your resilience and your uh, curiosity and your ingenuity above all else. So the thing just generates us so that and mails it to them. It's all free. It's me, you know, so they get it for free. And uh, I'm sitting here on a data set of tens of thousands of things that kids have reported doing during lockdown. And I'll tell you what, it's the most comforting list you've ever seen. Mm. They speak well of the learning being really hard. They've enjoyed working with people of other ages. Mm. They've enjoyed looking after learners. They've enjoyed depth. They become obsessed by one thing rather than, you know, the curriculum says, learn a bit of everything, 17 minutes on the Vikings and move on, you know. Mm. They've, they've become completely dotty about space or dinosaurs or mm. my, my kids sailing, you know. Um, you know we've, and we're starting to see how good kids might be mm. if we got out of their way a bit. So, yeah, the certificate's been great, but I'll tell you what, the data set, the research opportunities, you know, research matters in all this, you know, it's, some of this is just common sense, but common sense with data is a lot more robust. You know? <laughs> mm, absolutely. I mean, I know that you know I'm homeschooling my niece at the moment, oh, and um, I'm really being led by her. You know, her creativity. You know, I in the morning when we meet at ten o'clock, I don't. I I've got some plans for her, but I'm I'm led by her. I mean, the other day we were making stencils with toast 
toast stencils um you know we're learning about cheese at the moment it's it's random but actually she's so engaged and i think that what she's learning you know is amazing but you know trying to get her you know in a learning environment you know I teach her online, you know, it's so important to think about, you know, the environment we're, we're in. And I know that you've created a learnometer and, and this data is really producing um, some optimal learning environment. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about that? Yeah, no, I can. It's been, um, it's been kind of five, nearly six years now of hard work. And uh, it started off because I'm lucky enough to I have the most lovely life, really. I can do what I like, you know. So I found myself um, helping learning with elite sports. The mm. British Olympic team, the England rugby squad, you know, whatever. Obviously, I'm a professor in Madrid, so Real Madrid just down the road and so on. So one thing that stood out starkly from all the sport work is the aggregation of marginal gains. All the little pieces matter. You know, mm. the, the, the British cycling team, when they went to Rio, every single athlete that went with a bicycle came home with a medal. That's incredible. Mm. If you remember back to the Atlanta Olympics in 1996, we had one gold medal. That was Pinsent and Redgrave, you know. And, uh, you know, in those days, we were not very good at sport as a nation. We were quite good at sitting sitting down sports, you know, cycling, mm. rowing, sailing, horse riding, Formula One. You know, if you got to sit down, we weren't bad at it. But most sports, we were flipping hopeless. And it's looking at every single detail and saying you know what it all matters that is very powerful and very persuasive so very hard not to come back to the classroom and say well you know what if it all matters we better get some data mm -hmm. so uh, we set about designing a little box you know and the geeks out there will be pleased that we 3d printed it and we designed the circuit boards on a computer and you know the tools are so um, accessible you know and we had the so we actually had we had the circuit boards made in China. It's a good story. We um, we were we asked them for a quote. How much will you charge us to make a circuit board for these little learnometers? They've got a lot of sensors on. I'll come to sensors in a minute. And uh, they quoted us a price. We said, "Well, we're right, we want fifty of them." And um, it turned out the price they quoted was for all fifty. We thought it was. We thought the price was the oh, one. Crikey. <laughs> And it was, I think we got the whole lot landed, tax paid on our doorstep for something like 30 quid, you know, it was ridiculously cheap. So we, we started putting sensors onto them, measuring everything in the classroom. Some of the things we didn't know whether they mattered or not, like air pressure. Mm. But most of the stuff, and here's the really surprising bit, we already knew what the numbers ought to be. Mm. for your brain to be as good as it can be. I'm sitting here now, got a little learnometer in front of me, which of course these days is a polished little device, you know, and made in Korea and designed in Silicon Valley and invented in Essex, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, the temperature in here is pretty good, 19 degrees. We know 18, 18 to 21 is optimal for learning. The, um, the humidity is 43%. We're trying to be between 40 and 60. The... Um, the CO2 in here is uh, pretty good because I'm sitting with the windows open and it's 621 parts per million. Mm -hmm. Now, when we started the research, most of the published literature, the you know, university stuff, was saying that parts per million 
needed to be something under 2,000. Mm. Today, five years on, we know that it needs to be what needs to be well under. Um, now, now we know it needs to be well under um, six or seven hundred. Well, it needs to be well under seven or eight hundred. And most of the classrooms we go into, we find the figures that we're seeing um, are way over a thousand. I mean, we've been into classrooms where the CO two is over three, four, five thousand parts per million and at that point i mean no child can concentrate Mm. no child can use their brain it's like trying to run the 100 meters with Mm. lead boots on them you just can't do it and And it's so uh, interesting because you're putting you know as educators we're putting so much effort into interventions and trying to change things and you know making the lessons more exciting and actually it can be as simple as there's not enough oxygen in the air yeah, it's kind of common sense, isn't it? If you haven't got mm. enough oxygen for your brain, you're not going to be doing very well. Um, mm. But also, I mean, the data, the numbers are just colossal. You know, people work their socks off to get a 1% or 2% gain on their SATs or their GCSEs mm. or whatever. You mentioned Rosemary on as we were coming into the piece and Shakespeare, you know, Rosemary is for remembrance. We, we've known since Shakespeare that it's good for your memory. Um but people have done standardised tests where they pump rosemary oil into a room and don't pump it into the other room. You look at a 15 to 17% mm-hmm. improvement in results on a standardised test. Not 1.7, 17%. These are whopping numbers. When we, um, when we looked at CO2 in Dubai, we found that... Um, it's pretty hot, you know. <laughs> mm. So the windows are shut, and they, they do a good job on getting the room temperature down. But it's the same old air going round and round again, mm. getting children put back in the room. So when um, and this is Asher Alexander's work, part of the Jim Jim's Corporation. When she um, had a look at 162 classrooms, so quite you know quite decent um, size um, uh, test, really. You know, she found across the board that academic performance went up, you know, dis- disengagement went down, um, ADHD went down. I mean, mm. uh, I mean, ADHD is real. Some kids are martyrs to it, but there were an awful lot of kids in schools who are regarded as having uh, an attention deficit. And there's nothing wrong with the kids at all. It's the room that's deficiting their attention. Look, a lovely example. We were... We were working in a in a school near here for once. I mean, most of my work's all around the world these days in South America and goodness knows where. You know. But this was just down the road in Essex, you know, where I live. And um, we went into a class who, it's a one-form entry school, Fingering Hose School, mm-hmm. lovely school. And they hadn't been doing as well, really, as their teacher thought they might be doing. So I spent a bit of time with them looking at the room and I, I remember saying to them, "Okay, point to the point to the folk in the room who are, you know, they kind of lost the plot a bit coming up to lunchtime. You know, <laughs> their attention's really not on what they're supposed to be doing." And everybody pointed to these boys in the corner. By the way, the boys in the corner pointed to the boys in the corner. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's us. You know, we're mm. the ones. And I said, "And who are the sharp-eyed, bushy-tailed lot who?" when the mums come to pick you up, you know, still want to finish before they go. And they pointed to some boys and girls over um, on the other side. Well, of course, when you looked at the room, 
the the um the, the you know the traculum boys were in a corner of the room that was too dark too hot co2 was appalling wow. um there was very little ventilation the boys and girls who were bright-eyed bushy-tailed were lucky to be sitting near a broken window so fresh air coming in all the time they were by a window so the light levels were high it was just better and i asked them to swap over for a little bit and one, one of the girls one of the girls said to me sitting in the kind of naughty boys corner she said she'd only been there an hour she said oh, i i feel myself going over to the dark side <laughs> <laughs> so we kind of threw everything in the room it's a wonderful project with um essex local authority a brilliant local authority and when i say brilliant i mean the council officers nobody's got any money anymore you know came in to repaint the walls with high luminescent paint so the light reflection off the walls was high mm. people gave up their saturdays to come and do it you know mm. but you know i remember the teacher saying to me who'd had them the year before you know if the names weren't the same on the register i wouldn't believe they were the same kids mm. these are huge differences that you see and of course you know light is a big one the number of teachers i meet who go home on a friday i mean exhausted with a headache and they say god this job's killing me you know no it's not the job it's the lights mm. and you have to look at those flickering fluorescent tubes on the ceiling with kelvin values down at about 1000 which means the light is very very yellow and there's a flicker to those lights the your your brain notices the flicker but your eyes don't mm. so your body gets all tense because there's something there's a danger but you don't know what it is and a week of that would drive anybody to exhaustion so we take out the bulbs we put in led bulbs super bright pure white light if you go into b and q tomorrow and you should because if you're sitting at home you might as well put the lights up there as well when you buy those light bulbs look out for the kelvin number mm. and see you're looking for five and a half thousand to six thousand kelvin and those are the pure white lights it's really hard to fall asleep in that stuff it's mm. really hard not to be on the money if i walk into a bmw showroom they run lights high kelvin numbers over a thousand lux you walk in and you go wow these cars are amazing mm. <laughs> but they're not they're just well lit you know but you walk into a classroom where you sorted out the lights and these kids are amazing they're just getting on with it you know and and, and it's so easy to rectify this i mean the co2 is really you've only got to do a couple of things open the door helps i was looking and we're looking at graphs here i'm, I'm sitting on about five million hours of data here so it's pretty stark when you look at it and you can see the classrooms who haven't opened the windows or the doors because the minute the kids come through the door the co2 starts to build and mm -hmm. by the way so does the covid laced aerosol droplets you know mm, so absolutely yes it's, it's dangerous as well as making them daft you know if they open the windows the co2 goes down but only as far as the windows so we can say there's a heavy mm. gas so they're sitting in a i mean every teacher listening to this will know that you know when they've been invigilating an exam they've only been in the room 15 minutes and they have to stand up and walk around because they're falling asleep at the mm. desk front the reason is the exam room is filling up like a swimming pool with co2 so the teachers are walking around trying to stay awake and the um, the kids aren't allowed to stand up are they so mm. it, you can see the impact of all this so 
open the doors and all the CO2 goes out, get a through draft, it's even better. Open the windows for sure, but actually just get some plants in. And um, hippo.net slash BYOP, bring your own plant, you'll find loads of stuff in there about, you know, the plants you should bring in. But if there's, there's bound to be some old teachers listening to this, you know, and they'll be going, well, my room used to be full of spider plants, you know. Where have they all gone? <laughs> my my room my room used to be absolutely filled with with plants and you know I had a plant monitor and you know and everybody used to you know water a plant half term they used to take them home name them as well you know I was so pleased that you had a, a plant called Monica I mean I'm just looking on my windowsill now I'll introduce you to basil mint and thyme Russell do you have any plants in your studio absolutely not they're too noisy I was just going I'm just <laughs> I, I'm beautifully lit this evening I I'm just loving the discussion thanks so much indeed for joining us. Uh, can I ask about the experience that young people, you kind of alluded a little to that as well. Some young people have had a fabulous, a delicious time uh, with their learning, both at home and back at school in bubbles and all the rest of it. What's next for them? Where do they go from here, Stephen? Well, I don't know if you want the gentle version or the truth, you know. Let's, let's go have the truth. the truth. Let's go for the truth. Let's first. go for the truth. So, yeah. What we learned, of course, if we didn't know it already, was that synchronous learning online um, is damaging in equity terms and if you're saying to a child you really need to be online at 11 o'clock for your um, you know science lesson or whatever and there's two siblings in the house and they've got to be online at 11 o'clock as well and mum is trying to hold down a zero hours contract and she needs to be online at 11 to see what works coming up today they can't all do it and so most of them, probably all the kids will miss out because mum needs the money and needs the job. If, on the other hand, we set asynchronous activities and say, here's the things you need to be doing over the next couple of days, I'll be around, I'll be online all Thursday afternoon if you want to come in and pick up some advice and a couple of touch points, and we will all have a plenary on Friday, but it's only going to be for 15 minutes, so try and fear that and we know when we do that that everybody gets engaged and they all crack on obviously um in this country i think a lot of the wealthy public schools have gone for more synchronous learning because you know the household is probably better able to to do that you know three kids four laptops three phones bandwidth to burn but most kids synchronous just kills the the glimmer of learning joy you know so we know that and we also know when they come back into school if you sit them down and say well here's a seating plan you're going to be i'm going to be sitting next to russell for the rest of the year and there's a timetable so i know what's going to be happening at 11 o'clock on tuesday for the rest of the year and um my teacher's saying to me you know i can't tell you this yet i'll tell you when we get to a level but for now, just trust me, this is what you're supposed to know. So I keep running up against the door that says you can't go any faster. Those kids are and will be disengaged. They've jumped out of the bottle with the genie and they ain't going back anytime soon. We did a thing with a group of kids in Scotland where we said to them, and it was a Zoom event, we said, hold your hand up five fingers, five days in the week, 
how many days do you think you need to come to school now to be part of the community, to still be up to speed with your bestie, to um, to see that teacher that you really, really, really admire and is the best role model ever, ever, ever. How many days a week do you need to come in? The average, Russell, the average across all the kids mm-hmm. was two days. And you know that, it, and by the way, nobody said five. Not one kid said five. And, you know, they were saying two on average. There were plenty who were saying one and none. So there's a real question here about um, do we need to commute into an office? Probably not every day. Do we need to turn up in a school to learn? Probably not every day. Do I need to attend lectures live in my university? Probably not every day. You know, we are in a new world. Do I need to go to Debenhams to buy me pants? I can get them online. So probably not every day. The world has changed. And it's an interesting thing that when when we've had those profound moments of change, primary education, the Sunday schools, the different people were driving it. So the church drove change in 1800. The employers drove change in 1870. Families drove change in the 1940s because they'd seen other kids that had a, a better go at learning than, than their kids. And that's not fair. This time around, the kids are the ones who are driving it. It's the same generation that's the Greta Thunbergs that are telling us to really get our act together on climate, that are sitting in the street in Hong Kong complaining about what's happening politically. You know that? The same kids all over the world are saying, you know what, this could be better and it's going to need to be better. And schools that don't get that, I think, simply won't be there in 10 years' time, 15 years' time, possibly five years' time. Because if I've got a school for one and a half thousand kids and I only need seats for 500, then I haven't got too many teachers but I'm sure if heck has got too many buildings and the teachers are still going to be busy. There is no world that doesn't see learning with teachers, but a world that sees learning with a lot less physical schools, here it comes. And you watch the surprise. I mean, people in universities are talking about, you know, massively increasing their student numbers because another thing that's come out of COVID has been everybody needs to retrain. You know, you You've been a retail manager in Debenhams all your life. You've been a great leader. Um, you've been, you know, really good at your job. But Debenhams is gone. You're 42. You know, what are you going to do? Retrain. Those skills are still valuable. So everybody is back into learning, back into learning, back into learning. But they're not back into education. No. And I think the big change, you know, I've used the phrase before, as we've come into this millennium, we're kind of, kind of looking at the death of education but the dawn of learning and the dawn of learning feels pretty good to me for sure no us too as well can we talk about accreditation now because before the pandemic it was very important now it's a whole lot less important what <laughs> where are we going with this what what's going to be available because there's still key measures that need to take place aren't there what's the future of accreditation well, there's a lot that's wrong with past accreditation and anybody who's done an exam and had a menstrual interruption or a hay fever catastrophe or 
they're doing the exam on the day their dog died or their dad died. You know, everybody will tell you um, that exams are pretty unfair because all the eggs are in the basket at one moment. And I think teachers will all tell you about the children who were exceptional in the subject and then disappointed on the day. Um, but, you know, I'm still in touch with loads of the kids I taught on Facebook, great thing about social media. They've all done amazingly well. And, um, you know, they didn't matter too much how they did in their exam. What mattered was how they could apply what they'd learned. But what also mattered was deep learning. You know, this isn't the kind of sixes to go and sit on a tree and dream about physics. You know, we need to know our stuff. But if I take you back to computers for a minute, computers are really, really good at rule-based systems. They follow the rules as programming. They're really good at remembering that storage. They're really good at batch processing. They're really good at doing what they've been told to do. They're exceptionally good at consistency and they're terrific at repetition. So if we've got a group of kids whose experience of assessment is to be good at repetition, being consistent, matching, remembering, following the rules, they are going to be completely useless because they are going to be replaced by computers. However, what people are really good at is curiosity, problem solving, deep, deep, deep understanding, ingenuity and creativity, playfulness, mm. adventure. So you know that mm. if our assessment is going to be any good, it's going to reward kids for being able to problem solve collaboratively. Well, you've only got to look at um, UNESCO and what is it they're adding to the PISA tests? Collaborative problem solving. Um, you don't want a kid to be sitting in an exam room thinking, I hope there's no surprises on the paper. You want them to be facing a problem going, I hope there's a really good challenge that nobody's thought of because I can't wait to show off my understanding, my deep understanding. And there's a huge mismatch between mm -hmm. that and the dreadful, dreadful, dreadful exams we were imposing on people before. But as you say, you know, major panic. Oh, gosh, no A-levels. And the university just said, oh, just give us the kids in rank order. We don't care, you know. And it'll be it'll be really interesting to mm -hmm. see which exam board's going to break cover first and say, let's just stop doing the silly exams. Let's get on with all the new ways we've got. I mean, Russell, you'll remember this. Back in 2002, we were um, the Department of Education we're trying to assess how good people were with computers, you know, just like, mm. that's quite a hard thing to do on a multiple choice test, you know. <laughs> and um, so I wrote this rather, I mean, I'm a very mild bloke, but I wrote this, I wrote this very sniffy letter to, um, to, to the department that said, what are you thinking, you know, how the hell are you going to do that? And to their wonderful credit, those were the days, they wrote back and said, well, Stephen, here you go, here's a research grant. Um, show us how we could do it differently. And what we did was we, um, first of all, asked a lot of children, seven schools for three years, um, what of these attainment targets, which of these attainment targets do you think you'll be able to attain by the end of the year? Mm -hmm. And the kids had a look at them. Actually, we gave them everything 
right through to A-level, although they were only 14 years old. And they said, oh, I could do that, and I could do that. That's a bit hard, but I could do that. Every child, Russell, in every school, in every year, set targets for themselves that were higher than the curriculum set. And we then said to them, prove it. And they went online and they showed their milestones, which, well, it's not milestone, wasn't it? Here's my seven best essays. It was, you know, here's when the wheels fell off my robot and I realised I was doing it all wrong, you know. <laughs> so they were, you know, they were great little moments, you mm. know. And, uh, and then at the end of it, their phone rang and it was a fiver on the phone. And we had a, I mean, a computer then, had a brain the size of a planet, really did. And it did voice recognition, it did all sorts of clever things, which in 2002 were, you know, science fiction, really. But now, of course, you, you know, your phone, your watch will probably do it. Um, but and they wanted to talk to a robot. They didn't want to talk to their teacher because they said, if I make a mess up with a reply and stop and do it again, the robot will forget, but my teacher won't, which was a really interesting <laughs> piece of feedback. But every child in every school, in every year, every child in every school, in every year, hit their attainments that they'd set. So they said, you know what, I could do better than you think. And you know what, they did it. They did it. And nobody, nobody did an exam and everybody did some. But we had, we had voice prints of every kid's voice. So you couldn't say, oh, that's tricky. I'll give it to me mum to answer. You know, you had to answer it because we knew it was you. And when you registered at the beginning, we took your voice. Didn't even matter if your voice broke. We still knew it was you. Wow. Absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. Uh, just fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. We're chatting live with a brilliant uh, Professor Stephen Hepburn listeners. Uh, still plenty of time to get onto the show page and ask some questions. Uh, as anticipated, we are overrunning like you cannot believe. <laughs> Maria's got question <laughs> two. We're loving it. You are so, you are solid gold. You are absolutely, and someone's actually written that on the Padlet as well. This is golden. Oh, absolutely okay. golden radio. Thank, Thank you, you so much indeed uh, for that as well. Maria, what's our second question on the Padlet? Thank you. Thank you, Russell. I mean, I'm I'm just in awe listening. I'm not even looking at the time. It's just it, this is such important stuff, colleagues. You know, it is so important. And we would like to know, you know, what have you heard this evening that is challenging your practice? You know, what are you willing to embrace now and include? And this is a perfect time for you to ask Professor Stephen Heppel those questions. And while we've got that, we've got a particularly interesting track coming up, haven't we, Russell? We have indeed. I've never been asked to play this before. It's the Singing Kettle. And if we don't get into trouble for playing this, I will be so surprised. We'll have to ask Stephen why on earth each other you cannot throw your granny off a bus <laughs> enjoy it yeah! i love it do not try that at home folks you're listening to maria and russell this is the seeds of creativity live show on learnradio.net Oh, that is so cheeky. It's 12 minutes to nine. We are live with Professor Stephen Heppel. Stephen, what on earth made you choose that song? <laughs> well, um, so many reasons. I mean, I live with a, a five-year-old and a seven-year-old, my two granddaughters that live with me. And, um, you know, a lot of the soundtrack of our lives are the singing kettle. If you haven't, if you haven't enjoyed them, uh, go to YouTube immediately. But what I'd particularly love about that is this is absolutely it's a kid's world you know and the you know i love the i love the contrast between the um you know you can eat shabby granny off the bus yes we can you know (laughs) 
they've been they've been told so many times what they can't do yeah. and they know damn well they can and uh, and they can do things so 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 well but also as a grandparent I'm so conscious of how important grandparents are in the lives of our kids so uh, you know I enjoy being pushed all over the place really have the time of my life as a granddad Brilliant. and um, and we have fun so it's on every level it's a great track I love singing it. kettle I love it go and listen to I wonder if you've been so but so enthusiastic as we sh- cannot shove your grandpa off a bus but apparently it's okay for granny <laughs> so that's okay as well on no, to they, the, they, they, they shoved me out of the oh. boat just the other day so <laughs> Let's, or off the boat I likely to say uh, <laughs> Megan's been in contact as well thank you so much indeed Megan how can I make my classroom more calmer after lunch times uh, well, there's a, there's a load of things, really. I mean, the um, but don't make the mistake of dropping the light levels down, because that just that just makes their brains work less well, and it's a real struggle to get them to be engaged. So, keep your light levels up, um, bring them in. I quite like um, in Islington they have a lovely thing which they call soft start, where you come in and they just play some gentle music for the first two or three minutes, and the rule is nobody speaks, including the teacher. They all take a moment. And let me say that in in Islington in the morning as well, you know, kids have come in from some pretty um, tumultuous family moments, and mm-hmm. that little soft start really, really, really helps. But you know, the key thing here is the kids ask the kids to say to them, you know, if you get out your phone, you can upload a decibel meter onto the phone, and it's very, very clear immediately that noisy. You know, is anything above 72, 74 decibels and quiet is down into the 60s. So, you know, what we like to do is give a couple of kids charge of sound um, each day. They become the sound monitors. They've got an old iPad, you know, too knackered to be any good at anything with sort of Mark 1 Bluetooth. And they run a, they run a, a decibel meter in it. And those two kids go around and quietly shush down people that are being demonstrably noisy when the kids see the data. And I mean, you know, I'll give you a lovely example from Bondi Beach Primary School. I get to work in some lovely places, Russell. Indeed. Bondi Beach Primary School, which as as it says on the box, is on Bondi Beach. You know, they had a, a really, really, really noisy dining hall and were quoted astronomical amounts of money from architects to quieten it down. But we had a lovely session there with the parents and the kids and what they did afterwards was very simple they put a decibel meter up in the hatch and if the noise went into the orange zone which from more memory was about 76 decibels then the people in the serving hatch reached up turned round all the prices and the price of everything doubled it's real simple you know <laughs> and um, and it stayed doubled for the rest of the week so now the question is you know can kids keep the noise down in the dining room and the answer was of course they flipping could and they never had to double the prices so the kids are watching the whole time and they're listening and they know it's going to be noisy and they see you know white coated arm going up to the price list and it's like a switch has been thrown the whole place goes quiet because kids turns out can manage their noise kids can make it a calmer place so the real answer to the question is ask the kids and I mean, in uh, in Spain, we had kids made a little Arduino-based thing. They put on the on the handrail on the staircase, and if you were too noisy on the staircase, it flashed a very bright red light, and everybody knew 
but he view them as being noisy. So there are loads of ways to do it. Um, putting tennis balls on the chair legs, because one of the noisy things of coming into a class, of, and every teacher will just know this noise of the chairs dragging on the floor. It's so loud, you know, and goes straight to your soul, really. Um, but if you just put a tennis ball on the end of each chair leg, the chairs are immediately completely silent. So, you know, have a bit of a look around and say, what's making the noise here? What's causing our stress? The kids will do it. The kids love to do it. Brilliant. Good answer. Good answer. Maria, what else have we got? Thank you, Russell. So Maya would like to ask, she's saying at the moment her classroom desks are in rows at the moment. And how can she make her classroom just that little bit more friendly in these times? Yeah, I'm not quite sure where the classroom in rows came from in COVID. I think it was poor old Gavin, you know, he sort of panics a bit when things go wrong and likes likes the world to be like it was when he was at school, I guess. But desks in rows are not good in COVID because the um, the aerosol emission, we know now that aerosol emissions are much more dangerous than, you know, I mean, to be honest, the desk surface needs to be clean, but unless, unless you're in the habit of licking your desk, you're not going to catch COVID from your desk, but you you are going to get it from a kid at the back of the class who's been asked to speak up because the teacher can't hear them at the front. And if all the kids in the class face the same way, well, you know what's happening. You've caused a, a current of airflow right through the class from every kid to every other kid. So you really want them to be facing each other in little groups of three and four. You want their volumes to be down because speaking loud projects a lot more um, aerosol um, danger and um, and if for me it really helps if you have zones if you have a you know so if the whole classroom is exactly the same that's pretty hard to stay excited by that for a year you know but if on the other hand the um, if on the other hand you've got a place where you can work standing up um, just walk into a Costa Coffee and you'll see mm. people standing people collaborating at tables in twos and threes, people sitting on the comfy sofa, and you build uh, um, uh, just a carousel of activities. So rather than saying, this is what we're going to do next, you say, these are the four things we're going to be doing during the morning. And you go around the carousel, so you spend a bit of time collaborating with a couple of others. You spend a bit of time with your head down, working quietly in silence. You spend a bit of time rehearsing your presentation or whatever. And then the classroom has a presentation space, a collaboration space, a heads down, a working space, which, by the way, is usually a family table. Ten kids sitting around a table together in silence works really well, because if one kid makes a noise, the other nine will shush them. And mm -hmm. the, the other kids are much more effective at that than the teacher would ever be. So teachers often think a lot of kids at a table is going to be noisy. It's actually just the opposite. So I do, yeah, move them around a bit. Zone your classroom. Get your carousel activities going, but crucially ask the kids. Oh, this is fabulous. Thank you. This is this is the time where I wish we had a time machine, Russell, so we can, um, you know, extend the time a little bit more. Absolutely. But that's fine. I was going to say, what are we doing next? What are you doing next Thursday at eight o'clock, Stephen? Is there any chance we could do a two-parter with you just off the top of my well, head? We, 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 uh, we could actually. Just bear with me for two oh, seconds. Very good. Uh, okay. Well, I've got I'll another question. Down. Let's just... Bless Let's you. carry on because yeah, okay, um, I'm enjoying this. So. I know. Well, we could just pick up where we left. We can't. I've just put the pause button on. We just pick it up as well. Uh, Fiona has no, been same, same time and same time of night next Thursday, 
Let's do it. Thank you so much indeed. So this is a two-parter now, folks. It's, this is kind of real-time live radio. This is what it's all about. Uh, thank you so much. So two parts, two helpings, two for the price of one. It's great, isn't it? Uh, Fiona has, thank you so much, Stephen. Uh, Fiona's been in contact. She's a newly qualified teacher, she says, and I have so many ideas, but feel others are so much more experienced than I. What could I do in my class from Monday? I mean, again, you know, picking something that's a target and saying to the kids, how do we do that is, is good. But there are loads of little ideas that um, I quite like. Uh, the attention square, which is a little square on the floor of the class, sometimes with a bell, just little tinkle bell hanging from the ceiling. And anybody who stands on the square has the two minutes of attention of the whole class. Teacher, kid, you know, you might jump on as a kid. Say, I'm, do I'm doing this survey for my project work. I need you all now to just give me some answers please could you just do this for the next two minutes or the teacher might say right i need your attention because next up we're going to change the carousel you all need to move around so you know an attention square is a great way of saying everybody listen and look in this direction and it's not just the teacher it works for the kids as well i for me i'd go for the plants every time because look there was a we, we put some plants into a school in london there was a lad there who had the most Torrid time at home, and he was, uh, you know, he's, I won't go into the family details, you can imagine. So, for two or three days a week, he came to school, and the rest he was busy doing washing and cooking and, you know, clearing up the vomit from his drug, drug mum, you know. Um, and we gave him a plant because he was doing bring your own plant, and uh, with, we, we have a list of plants from NASA, which are the best plants for creating. Um, oxygen and we gave him an aloe vera i have to say he was not impressed you know it's like here you go there's <laughs> an aloe vera and he had to name it as you saw my my plant it was called monica he decided to call it vera so every morning he'd come and he'd go aloe vera which he thought was hilariously funny and to be honest he's quite he's quite jolly you know but but he came in almost every day because he got skin in the game his vera was there Mm. needed looking after needed watering he was going to snip bits off um so she could help kids who got sunburn you know he had his agency he had his role in the class he had um and he turned up and he turned up so the oxygen went down they learned lots about nutrients some of the kids in the class were building little self-watering arduino kits that hang on the side of the pot Wow. measure the humidity and water. I mean, everybody did something and there was more oxygen in the room and there was less poor behavior. I mean, the great thing about all this is behavior gets better and the learning gets more effective. Great. What's not to like? It's, indeed it is well, folks that we have absolutely run out of time but the good news is uh, the lovely uh, professor Stephen Heppel has very kindly agreed to come back to us next thursday at eight o'clock and we'll pick up the conversation with then Stephen, thank you so much indeed you have been priceless you have been golden this evening thank you so much indeed there's still more questions on the site we'll move all of those over to next week folks so don't worry uh, and if you want to bring some more people to the party please do this is solid gold it really 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 is. Maria, it, have you enjoyed yourself? 
I, I'm just in awe. All the things I've been doing for such a long time, I've got research to back it up. Thank you so much. Love it. Like Abs- I said, common sense, common sense with data. <laughs> Good. And it's all on the website. We've got a links through to Stephen's website all on our show page there as well. We'll pick it up until next week. Thank you so much indeed, Stephen. Thank you so much. You're absolutely brilliant. I've loved every minute of it. Have a lovely weekend and we'll catch you again at eight o'clock next Thursday. Thanks for joining us. Well, and, and I've enjoyed it too. And thanks for people who had the patience to be here. See you next week. Bless you. Thank you so much indeed. Until then, it's goodbye from her. And it's goodbye from him. Thanks so much indeed, folks. Uh, catch me next. It's uh, it's the Teacher Tunes Thursday. Thank you.